We work so hard to get stronger, happier, more productive and successful. Don't forget the secret ingredient. Get grounded in play. Play grounding when it's time to get a life. Hello and welcome back to Playgrounding. This is Kara Storfortier coming to you from the Kara Cake Treehouse at the Brewery Artist Complex in Los Angeles. Oh, I am so happy to be back. Oh my goodness, I missed you guys this last few months. I've had some big and kind of, you know, big and agonizing decisions to make about my career and what my life is going to look like going forward. And I wasn't quite sure if playgrounding was still going to fit into my life, even though it's a huge source of joy for me. And so it hasn't really been a very easy time. I I kept wanting to come on and let you guys know what was going on, but I didn't want to like, I didn't know it was going to happen. I didn't want to end the show prematurely. And I also didn't want to promise it was going to keep going without really knowing if that was really going to be possible, you see? Okay, like long story short, the circumstances that made it possible for me to produce and show run and do the, all the things for this podcast for the past few years, those circumstances are changing and I need to change along with them. I just wasn't sure what all of that was going to look like until just the last couple of weeks. So any the, the reason for that is that the podcast's Podcasts in general, they're a pretty huge time commitment. And even for a labor of love like Playgrounding is for me, even little tiny podcasts like this, you have to treat it like a business for it to really have any impact for it to reach you. Um, <laughs> and it's been fine while I've been in kind of a career limbo. I've been freelancing for a few years while I figured out what to do next. But now I've come to a fork in the road and down one path. There literally would not be any way I could fit playgrounding into my schedule and still have a life of any kind. Um, and down the other path, playgrounding becomes a centerpiece, kind of a launching pad into an unknown, which is, I have ideas for what that's going to be. But anyway, all that later. But one path is familiar and safe. I've definitely been down it before, but it's most definitely not what I want. It was something I was trying to get away from. I just thought maybe with a new attitude, with a new perspective, I could go back in and make it work for me. So that was still an option. And the other side of the path, the exciting but scary and uncertain path, it's it's amazing. And if I give it my all, I know it will be the most fulfilling path. It's just definitely the most uncertain. And it might sound like a no-brainer, you know, in the land of greening cards and inspiring Instagram quotes, of course you want to take the road less traveled, but it's not that easy. I think some of you who've actually been in this position, you can vouch for me there. Um, it all sounds great to go follow your dreams, blah, blah, blah. But um, I needed to know I had a really sound plan under me, and I think I do now. Um, all of that to say, I knew I'd be making this choice someday, and I wasn't looking forward to it, but I'm so glad it happened when it did. If you remember when we left off several months ago, I was headed out to the playa. I was going to Burning Man. I was in the hotel in Reno saying goodbye. I was about to start on a little experiment with myself called 100 Days of Play Meets Moderation Management. Um, the uh, And I was getting ready to break an undesirable habit of mine. Um, that is that I would reach for a glass of wine as pretty much my only way to unwind. I wasn't drowning in alcohol, but it was a 
it was bad for my health, of course, like in about a hundred ways. And even more, I knew I wasn't getting the most out of life. When you make one thing your go-to for stress relief, something that's actually destructive to your body and, you know, kind of turns you off, I wanted to see if there was more, if there was something else I could replace that habit with. And I wanted to replace that habit with play. And like I said before, I've been really good at bringing you stories from experts on the power of play and pointing to examples of how powerful it is, but I haven't really been good at truly incorporating play into my own daily life. I've been really honest with you guys about that. Um, So a few months ago, as I was trying to face this fork in my professional road, I had already set out on this 100 days of play meets moderation management thing. I wanted to make it my mission regardless, regardless of what path I could go down. I wanted to believe in the things that I'd been talking about here on the podcast. And what I've learned from that mission is what I'm going to share with you today. And I can safely say that play has made a huge huge difference in how I faced my big choice, my big fork in the road. (laughs) Um, But more importantly, what does this mean for what we'll be doing together on playgrounding going forward? That is the most important question, of course. My plan is to keep the podcast going pretty much the same as it was. I'm going to bring on experts on play for children and adults, um, hearing from people whose lives have been influenced by their playful, adventurous spirit, their artistic spirit. But on the blog... I'm going to start an exploration of the steps I'm going to outline for you here in this episode. And hopefully that will launch us into more practical conversations about the, you know, the practical side of play, about ways we can bring play into our daily lives, even when we've spent most of us, our adult lives, believing that play and all the joy that comes with it, it's something we leave behind when we, you know, grow up. So I also want to be more practical about you know, children as well, and ways we can help our neighborhoods and our world be more free play friendly. Um, And I want to get advice from experts on way we can make sure that kids don't leave play deprived lives, lives. Um, I can't talk here. Um, But so these two things, giving adults practical tools to rediscover play, and giving all of us play advocates advice for how to make sure kids today experience the power of play. That's one, that's something I'd like to continue to do more of and even really just dive into, especially on the blog. So before I get back into interviews next week, I'm going to kick things off again here at Playgrounding by sharing my first stab at giving adults a framework. Um, Some ideas, some steps through which we can move from knowledge that play is good to actually incorporating childlike play into our daily lives and activities again. So here are the six steps to building your playfulness practice. All right, step number one is pretty easy to explain. It's the justification to play. And I think justification for play. And I think we've really spent... 40 episodes. This is episode number 41. We've spent 40 episodes here on Playgrounding just exploring that question. We've definitely dived into some of these other aspects we're going to talk about here in a minute, but I feel like this is something that's still really, really important, but I kind of want to put it in context. Um, It's more than just talking about the power of play on an academic or, you know, real cerebral level, you know? I want to take it back. To something else, something else that we justify without really even thinking about it. There was an amazing episode of the Goldbergs a while back. I love that show as a child of the 80s, um, where little Adam had to give up his um, 
give up his transformers and it was just that whole thing and it made me think back on those moments where you're entering into like fifth sixth grade and you want to be cool and you want to be older and you have to get rid of your toys but there's that part of yourself that still loves those barbie dolls and those unicorns and ah and you just have to kind of tell yourself that growing up is important and that this is the next step and i want to put out this I don't know, image to the world of me as this new grown-up. And I think that's the first time we give up our toys. That's not the only time we give up our toys. We spend a lot of our lives, um, especially as we get older from there on out, giving up toys along the way. Um, as we get older, those toys may be different. It may be the muscle car turns into the family sedan. It may be any number of things. Um, maybe, you know, the cute skinny jeans turn into a business suit or I, I don't know, whatever that is for you. But I just want to say we spend a lot of time over the course of our lives kind of giving that little sigh, giving up things. And in order to do that, in order to be able to do that, we have to justify it to ourselves. And I feel like as a culture, we're very good at justifying not playing. Um, for instance, you know, people, when they hear, strangers, especially if I meet someone and I tell them what I do, um, and I tell them I have a podcast on play and blah, blah, blah. And I had this one man look at me and just in total dismay, just like, oh, on play? Um, I am a father. I have responsibilities. I don't have time to play. I'm a grown-up. I'm an adult. Like he was very, I don't, he wasn't being argumentative. It was just this why. <laughs> and that right there tells me why we need step one, justification for play. This, we talk about it a lot and we're going to keep talking about it because there can never be enough of this conversation happening. It's so not a part of our cultural um, understanding yet that the power of play for grown-ups. I'm so happy whenever I see articles in major newspapers and publications that put this idea out there and it's just it can go so much deeper and it can go so much further. Um, so let, we're going to keep doing this but I think just for our individual selves we need to justify to ourselves if we want to rediscover play we need to and have a play practice really in our own lives we need to really believe that play is as powerful as they say, or at least believe enough of it to think, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. I know when they started talking about sleep being so important, people would used to be, they would be brag about how late they stayed up, how few hours they need of sleep a night. Um, we now know that those people were making themselves sick. And it's pretty much, the sleep researchers have done an amazing job of really getting the message out. And I think it's actually becoming more common that people know how important sleep is. Um, I, I just feel like I want the same for play. I feel like we need to justify play. Knowing, knowing how important it is doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be incorporated into our lives, um, but I think that's a great first step. So number two is your playfulness permission slip. It is giving yourself permission to play. It's entering into this playful mindset. Because as we know, justification is just not enough to get us really thinking in new directions. It just knowing that play is good and that it's powerful, yay, it just becomes one more thing on our big long to-do list of healthy things that we'll do later, you know, like eating right and exercising and the things we'll do when we have time. Um, isn't that nice? 
(laughs) The internet is full of self-help advice and things like that, that if we do them, it will make us happier and healthier and all the things. And they're right. I'm sure they're all right. Um, But I really do believe that play is different. And the reason I think that is because play is not a thing you do. I think this was my big hang up when I was first trying to do 100 days of play and why I got so frustrated. I was like, why can't I just do play? It's not just a thing you do. It's not like incorporating spirulina into your diet. It's actually changing the way you think. It it changes the way you approach the world. And I kind of want to bring up these rats again. I know I talk about them all the time. But remember the little rats, the ones that were not allowed to play as they matured? Their life as adults, their approach to life was altered. And when a threat of the cat was presented to them, they hid and they never came out. Now, what does that mean for people? I mean, I know I'm not a scientist. I'm not trying to you know, make any big conclusions here. But I just want to speculate that if those little rats were looking at the choice that I had in front of me, they probably would have taken the safe road no matter what. A hidey hole, the, the place where they know they're going to at least not have to encounter too much you know, scariness. And of course, this is just my decision. I know all of our decisions are based on many, many factors that include our family needs and our certain circumstances. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you always have to take a riskier path. That's not what this is about. I'm just looking at the specific incident. What I'm trying to say is that the rats that were allowed to play as they matured, after initially hiding from the cat scent, which all of the rats did in the first place, The ones that were allowed to play poked their noses out and they started to explore their environments again. They took risks. They were willing to go out and try new things. We talk about this when we talk about innovation on the podcast. We talk about about creativity. Um, That's why this study comes up for me time and time again. The non-playful rats stayed in their hidey holes and they died. The impact of this story just (laughs) gets me over and over again. It makes sense. Because play wasn't good just because it was fun. Play wasn't just good because, you know, it was a thing to do that would give them some time out. Play was good for those rats because it changed the way they thought it about the world. And that's, of course, this is a study on rats. And it was about rats that played or didn't play as little baby rats. But what about us big human adults who not only did we give up play at, after childhood, but we're constantly justifying, continually giving up our toys, continually giving up our toys. How do we give ourselves permission to play again? Is it even possible to rediscover a playful mindset with under this many layers of justification against play? And I believe we can. And I'm going to re- give you a couple things that helped me begin to reclaim my play permission slip. And it's some ideas from play research on children And just a reflection on a definition of play that I don't think of very often when I hear the word play. Um, But the first is from uh, play research on children. There's a play cycle. And the very first step in this play cycle is called the metalude. I remember I first heard this from my very first presentation, presentation I ever went to at the U.S. Play Coalition's conference last April. Really looking forward to the one this April. It was Gregory Manley. He's the artistic director for City of Play in Pittsburgh. I walked into his, his classroom and it was just so much fun to hear him talk about the metalude. I remember him saying, this is the state when a kid it gets up from his desk at you know, in school, he hears the bell ring and he goes out onto the playground and he looks around the playground. And it's that moment when the kid's like, it's time to play. 
you know, he doesn't know exactly what he's going to do yet, but he's like, this is playtime. This isn't work time. This is playtime. It's, it's really, I, I never lost that, that definition, that description from Greg. I, I, I love it because I don't remember, I didn't remember the last time I experienced that mindset, that playful mindset. Um, there's a definition of this, a metalude in a book called Making Sense of Play by Perry Else, Elsie, um, E-L-S-E. He says the metalude is a moment of daydreaming or reverie that sets out the intent of the play. It's the unconsciously conscious thought. It precedes any pr- playful act. Um, it suggests the playfulness of play and it crosses boundaries um, in seconds. Boundaries that we hold very dear, the big boundary from it's, it's the give up our toy boundary. It's the time where we go play with them. Um, so I think many of us adults, that, that's not something we're super familiar with anymore. If you are, go for it. I'm so excited. Please tell your story. Come on Playgrounding and talk about your life because this is something a lot of people really have a hard time with. And this is part of the, the permission slip. The, the permission slip aspect here is imagining that this is possible for you and then maybe going about doing the work to get there. So again, I heard of this metalute thing, didn't really change, you know, my own approach. But then I saw a definition of play. It's just in the dictionary because I thought, let me look up play and see what other synonyms I can find. And just because I'm a marketer and I do things like that. Um, it's an amazing thing. And I, it really helps describe entering into this playful mindset. Um, it says that play is this, is, I think it's like definition number four on whatever on the, dictionary that I found is play is the space in or through which a mechanism can or does move. Now that didn't really necessarily reach out and grab me right away, but it gives a list of words, synonyms, movement, slack, give, room to maneuver, latitude, and, and use in the sentence, there was a little play in the rope. And I love this like extra little definition they gave. It's the scope of freedom to act or to operate. Um, we all know like <laughs> this This is right where the rubber met the road for me when I really started to think, think about this. The older we get, the more we put away our toys and the more we do the grown-up thing, the more responsibility we shoulder for ourselves and our children and our colleagues, the more we need to play. We need that slack. We need give. We need room to maneuver, to act. We need freedom to operate. I mean, when we feel in our bodies that chronic stress that happens when you never allow yourself to play, you never allow yourself to have slack, it it flushes our system with hormones of fear. You know, that's what, um, anyway, it's a whole thing, but it, it literally induces fight or flight in our bodies. And we can stay in this state way longer than nature ever intended. Our blood rushing away from our extremities, our muscles tightening, clenching our teeth and getting backs and necks that are sore. And we hold our attention in all kinds of crazy ways in our bodies. Just ask a masseuse. But to give ourselves permission to play, we first have to learn to give ourselves some play in the rope, to give ourselves some slack. It's about slowing down and being gentle with ourselves and taking time to get to know ourselves truly to allow ourselves to feel our feelings, heaven forbid, you know, <laughs> um, and acknowledge them. And none of this, none of this is easy. None of this is easy. It's, it's for some people, it's a spiritual practice. And for some, it's something they discover through therapy. 
Um, some people just get it because they never really left it. Um, some, like me, I had to rediscover it by making myself vulnerable to some friends who are very wise, people who shared their experiences and listened to me and we talked to each other and I started to see, wow, there's so much more possible. And this was a process that I think started a while back. I think I'm just now on the receiving end of the benefits of, of really having passed through some of it. Definitely not over yet. I've got the rest of my life to work on it because it's when, once you've buried yourself and become certain, a part of certain mindsets, they kind of stick with you and you have to stay on it so you don't slip back into old patterns. But for me, this was the hardest part. And I definitely believe this was the real block for me to play. I wasn't ready to give myself any play in the rope. I was as tightly wound as it gets. <laughs> but when I came to realize that taking care of yourself sometimes is the best possible way to take care of others and to meet our obligations. I mean, we talked about it before on the podcast. I just wanted to put it in this context of rediscovering play. Giving ourselves slack and time to play gets us ready to take on the world and to stick our noses out of our hidey holes and to try play, try play, to rediscover play in the first place. And when we do, when we take on the threats, we do it with creativity and innovation. And you know where I'm going with this. So anyway, Number one, justify play. Number two, work on giving yourself that play permission slip. Number three, also with some introspection here, is discovering how you play. Now, we've talked about play personalities um, from Dr. Stuart Brown from his book. I think it's one of the earlier episodes of the podcast. But this kind of thing is not as easy as taking a personality quiz. And even Dr. Brown doesn't want us to just pick one or think we're like stuck in one category. It's kind of a, just describes a spectrum of ways that we can play. Because when we're, because when we're stuck in justifying our choice not to play, we've built up a lot of blocks around really understanding our unique propensities when it comes to what we want to do when we can play. Um, when we have time to play, what do we choose? What do we choose to do? And this step and why I think it's an important piece to call out is to say, where are our choices in how we play coming from? So I know we do play. Adults do a lot of play. Are we going along with our friends to a movie because that's like the thing you do? Do we follow our colleagues off to happy hour? Um, are we going to go on vacation at that resort because we saw an ad and it has a great deal? Or because, you know, that's where you go. Or maybe, you know, like me, you grab a bottle of Malbec and binge some great TV show on Netflix. Um, it just, we kind of get stuck in ruts because we really don't see the, the amazing possibilities of the things we can do to play. Like I was exposed to adults who play, which is the first time I really started to realize there were so many options as adults. Um, I've had some help in this area and I've discovered some really interesting things about myself. But part of that actually is through... Not a personality test. I think this is actually a really the best way to go. A woman I met through my Burning Man community, of course, <laughs> she's working on a program for adults, um, adults like me who need to rediscover my adventure mindset, as she would put it. It's not a course that's open to the public yet, but I got to try it out. Just a little taste of it, just a tiny fraction of the course. But in that one exercise, I learned so much. And what I what she essentially did was take me through the back door, past all the blocks I'd built up. And before I knew it, I was driving my dog to the beach and dusting off my baking materials, which had been in a box for over 10 years. <laughs> and, um, I won't give away her secret sauce. I'll let her talk about it when she comes on the podcast, hopefully in the next couple of months. 
but even living here in LA for a long time, I never go to the beach, but I practically lived on the beach in my teens and early 20s. And it, it was one of the toys I gave up along the way, like, and not necessarily easy to give up. It was a huge part of my life. And same with baking for certain reasons, not quite as big of a deal, but I can't even tell you what kind of joy I felt the days that I picked those things back up. And, you know, this is an extension of some of the things we were learning from Meg Rabbit back in episode two. She said to think back on how we played as children. And I've shared many times on the podcast about my love for imaginative play and writing silly poems and learning to decipher the language of cats. So I, I don't know if I actually told you that part, um, but how do you kind of work that kind of stuff into adult play? And I'm not really quite sure, but I'm definitely going to keep exploring this question of discovering my play preferences. There are so many ways to play and I want to explore them all. Um, <laughs> so these three, these three aspects, they're pretty cerebral. They're kind of thought exercises and involve self-exploration and kind of involved and I want to spend a lot of time on the blog talking like really exploring these things and really researching them and bringing you what I learned um, but the next two steps are not so big they're kind of no-brainers but I found this to be one of the most fun parts of the process so let's turn to the practical side number four is create your playlists when I was first getting ready to dive into the 100 days of play, this is what I wanted to do first. I wanted to skip everything else. I just wasn't quite sure what to put on my list of things, um, a list of things to do for play when I had time. Having playful lists is helpful on like those days when you have time to play, but you're not quite sure what you want to do. I mean, sometimes you can put playful things like on your calendar, like Tuesday, I'm going for a hike in Griffith Park. That's my day of play for today, but then what about the next day in the afternoon when I'm super busy and I can't go anywhere, but I might have like a half an hour between things that I can do something fun. That is where my playlists are supposed to kick in, right? But I hadn't really done the work to figure out what I actually really wanted to do. So it was really easy to blow them off, to blow off a day of play, just not do it at all. So after kind of going through step three of really like exploring my play personality some more and figuring out some options and things I could do, on my smartphone I made a, in my notebook app, I started making folders for play um, for little notes. Some are, again, no-brainers. I have a list of novels to read, but that's not a no-brainer for me. I, I love imagination, but I and I haven't read a novel in so many years, I can't even remember the last one. So... I started asking my friends who know me for recommendations on my first foray back into reading novels because um, I really didn't know where to begin. It was just I went to a fiction section of the library and was just overwhelmed. So my first choice was Margaret Atwood's Mad Adam trilogy. <laughs> Not exactly the easiest thing to dip my toe in, but it's exactly what I've been missing. I'm going to, you know, oh, I, I also read, uh, I also read, oh, oh, what's the name? Um, the one with the TV show. I read... Um, Handmaid's Tale, of course, but now I think I really need some silliness, so I'm going to start with Tom Robbins, um, <laughs> something I used to love, and now I'm coming back to it again, and more toys that I put away. I can't believe I put fiction away. I can't believe I put fiction away with the other toys, but I mean, when you're in grad school and you're reading so many books, your eyes can barely even function anymore, the last thing you're going to want to do is read novels, so that toy went into the box and I finally dusted it off. 
on top of novels, other things I can do with that weird half hour, I went to Michael's one day and just started walking around. I mean, I was a musician. I never had a chance to take other kinds of classes as a kid. Music all the way, no shop, art, home ec, whatever. So I picked up some stuff at Michael's for an idea I had, and I actually made some things with my hands. No keyboards, no screens involved. It was amazing. I also picked up a book of scales at a music store to start practicing my music again, practicing piano, which I haven't touched in years. So now, when I have a half an hour to kill and it's the end of the workday or I want to unwind, I can listen to my novel while I cook a new recipe, and recipes are also on my playlist. I can practice music or play with the crafty stuff I've picked up at Michael's. This is not rocket science, but it actually did require some thought. Um, unlike the other steps, this one didn't require soul searching, it's just organization, but it's powerful and it works and it will take you from one moment to the next in play. And number five, even more of a no-brainer, and that is prioritizing play. Prioritizing play. I mean, we've all heard, if any of you have ever listened to any productivity bloggers or podcasters, when they talk about productivity, my favorite is Michael Hyatt. He talks all the time about the need for margin and how badly we need to schedule margin into our lives and how he has times where I mean, he protects his schedule fiercely. And some of us, we don't have that kind of life where we get to do that necessarily in our work life the way he does as, you know, leader of a huge organization with assistance and that kind of thing. But we do have the ability, whether we know it or not, because I would tell you there were times when in my life where I believed that I would never be able to prioritize myself. I would never be able to put a, a, something on my calendar outside of work time and be able to defend it from not having to go somewhere or do something. Um, that's a really messed up mindset. <laughs> we really do need to be able to pr provide these things for ourselves. And I know mothers out there, you know, you have, I, I always want to just defer. I know I don't have children, so I, I don't want to assume things about people's lives. But I've also started following a few um, women who talk to me about productivity, um, who talk about their mornings with their kids and the ways that they find time. It's out there. There are people out there. If you, if you Google it, you will find amazing, generous women who are out there to help you figure out ways to work through your days as working mothers to still find margin for yourselves. And so I think I'm making margin and rest and play. I'm putting it all into a similar bucket. Um, but I think play also deserves its own calendar Thing. Like I said, the Griffith Park hike, yeah, that's a big one. But also, if you see a gap in your schedule for 30 minutes, block it out. Block it out and just put whatever you need to put on it. If you shared calendars, make it sound like it's important. But just block it out and go do a thing. Pull the novel out of your desk drawer and run off, you know, for a few minutes if you can at home. You know, do what you can. Play with your dog for 10 minutes. <laughs> whatever it is, but just block off some time to play. Yes. Also not, not a, not a hugely, you know, it is a no brainer, but it's not something that most of us are doing. I guarantee it. Anyway, number six. So, so far we've kind of had a progression. We've had, you know, we've to justify it and then we give ourselves permission and then we figure out what we want to do. And then we figure out ways to, to, figure out what specific things and put it on our schedule. So this is kind of like the first five kind of go in order. Number six came first for me. 
Number six was the was number one for me. Number six might be number six for you. Um, but number six, I think, is the by and large most important thing, the thing that will keep you playing for the rest of your life. That is find a playful community. Find your playful community. For me, I discovered Burning Man by accident. I had no intention. I just, I stumbled into a group of people that I admired. And the next thing I know, I'm, you know, living in this community and I'm going to Burning Man. And now I'm actually working with the Borg. I'm, I'm working as a Burning Man regional contact for Los Angeles. And it's so amazing. And I have this crazy, awesome community of people um, around me. But as I always say, Burning Man is my thing. It may not be yours. Um, I, we heard Robin Leggett speak on the podcast a few episodes back on Spartan racing and how tight those communities are and how tight those friendships are. Look at roller derby. Um, another girlfriend of mine who is also in roller derby, um, she just got married. So I got to see up close what it's like to have derby wives and see these friendships just amazing, um, tight. These women, when they have children, they are going to be each other's fiance to each other's children. They're going to be each other's godmothers to each other's children. These, these are friendships that are going to last forever from what I can see of what I'm seeing in that community in roller derby. Um, what about sewing circles? My mother was a quilter, uh, definitely had that example put before me as a kid. Um, my husband reminded me there's something called Hash House Harriers that I've actually thought of doing, but I just have this great admiration for this crazy group of people who go running um, pub to pub, like they do pub crawls, but with running and jogging. <laughs> um, I've always thought I would join one, but I'm, my knees are kind of bad. Not just an excuse. It's actually a thing my trainer told me not to do, but I, I definitely admire this community. Um, any excuse to get a community together, to go out together, to do something like-minded, um, these are the kinds of communities that start some of the most meaningful friendships we'll ever have in our lives. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I had a time shortly before I threw up my hands and was feeling the way I was describing in episode one of this entire podcast, because I was in that moment of saying, is this all there is? Is this life? Because I was, all my relationships, most of them were based around work. I had gone to grad school recently before that. Everyone went their separate ways. I had great time in grad school, but they were all, they're were they all gone now. Um, once I left that job, we don't all see each other anymore. And we started off one or two of the people we, we kept in touch, and but it gets wider and wider because we weren't brought together by because we're soulmates. We were brought together because of a job. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that I feel like in a lot of our lives, our communities are chosen for us whether it be our families for good or bad like sometimes people's families they need to escape them in order to have a, a happier life and that sounds harsh but it's it's the reality for people I've known in my life um, and it's just the way it is and it's very hard they have to be very brave to really be able to make that kind of a choice it's not easy um, but we are we are we kind of inherit these situations and these communities that we don't necessarily feel all that akin to kin with. If you're in that situation and you don't have a community of people around you, of people you would choose if you were up, were uprooted and transplanted someplace else, this is a really important thing. I really believe. And actually next week's episode is going to be just about this, about playful communities. Um, and you're going to hear a couple of interviews with some people um, kind of describing what 
a, someone brand new to, to a community has had you know happen for him and someone who's been a part of a very playful community for many 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 years and what that's meant to her over time so yeah that's number six it's either number six or it's number one not quite sure where that goes yet I'm still figuring all of this out but um that's it that's what I've been working on and that's where I've been and that's the direction I want to take playgrounding in and I want to know what you think I want to know I, I first I just want to apologize for being offline for a while I just it broke my heart to think of not having this podcast of not being able to keep going with this so I'm thrilled to be able to actually be back with it I'm actually starting school in January to officially learn broadcast production so I'm I'm gonna try to make this work I actually found some work on the side that I can do um, along with all of this so that I can make this a priority and I couldn't be more excited and I love you guys. I love where I've come so far. I love the US Play Coalition and all my new friends there. Um, so yeah, this is a really exciting moment for me to be able to publish this particular episode. Um, and we're gonna explore all of this on the blog and in the podcast going forward. So I'll talk to you next week when we talk about playful communities. <laughs>